We are reading this morning from Genesis chapter 18. As we continue our studies in the book of Genesis, the life of Abraham, this man who lived by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who would come. Even as you and I live by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who has come. So we're reading this morning Genesis chapter 18. And we read from verse 1, it's page 17 in the Church Bible. Genesis 18 and verse 1. And boys and girls, if you listen carefully, I'm going to ask you in a wee moment uh, what it is uh, that listen out for what Sarah did. She did, well, two things actually. And we'll see if we can get both of them. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and saw, or literally it is, and behold, three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can all be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Get three seas of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree, or under the tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. 
Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, Yes, you did laugh. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Amen. We have all had unexpected and unannounced visitors appear on our doorstep at some time or another. Sometimes they have been family, sometimes a friend who has been in the area and has popped by in to see us for a few moments. Sometimes they have been total strangers, either looking for directions or more often wanting to sell us something that we don't need or want. In Genesis chapter 18 and page 17 in the Church Bible, Abraham has three unexpected and unannounced visitors. And we're told in verse 1 that they come in the heat of the day. They come at a time when people in that culture... Uh, could not work and generally would not travel unless it was a matter of necessity. And in verse 2 we're told that Abraham, so Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. The NIV omits the word behold, in fact it translates it as saw And if you're using NIV, it literally should be Abraham looked up and behold three men standing nearby. Abraham is surprised at what he sees when he looks up. Perhaps he had been dozing in the middle of the day. That's what you would have done in that culture. Taken a rest from the heat. And there's something unusual, there's something unexpected about the visitors that are there before him. Behold, three men standing nearby. And so we have to ask, what is the element of surprise? What is the element of the unexpected in all of this for Abram? Is it the time of day? Well, yes, there is a measure of surprise in that. But that would not be absolutely impossible to have people at your door in that culture in the middle of the day. Is it the fact that the Lord appears to Abram? Is it that that surprises him? Well, that in itself is not a surprising or a new thing for Abram. Because the Lord has appeared to this man twice already. Genesis 12 and verse 17 Genesis 12 
and verse 7 when he was 75 years of age and then Genesis 17 very recently when he was 90 years of age. So what is it then that is the unexpected about this? What is the element of surprise in all of this for Abraham? Well, the element of surprise in this for Abraham is, becomes clear when we look at verse 1 against the backdrop of verse 2. Because even before Abraham looked up and saw the three man, men standing there, Abraham had sensed that the Lord Jesus was with him and before him. He knew before he looked with his eyes. Verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And then there's a little word that's missing again. So Abraham looked up. And the new, the unexpected factor for Abraham in this is not that the Lord appears to him, but that the Lord is now accompanied by two others standing beside him. And Abraham recognises that these others, while they're significant beings, and verse 3, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he bowed low to the ground before all three, giving honour to all three. Yet he notices that the two others are not equal to the Lord. They are subordinate to the Lord. They are inferior to the Lord. Notice the distinction he makes in verse 3. And we lose it in our English translation. But it's there in the original. He said, if I have found I favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. And everything in that verse is in the singular. It's addressed to one person. So three men are standing before him. Abraham bows down as a mark of respect to all three, but then he singles out one, and he says to him, My Lord, my Lord. And it means my sovereign one. It's the name that's used for God. So from the very, very outset, Abraham knows that the Lord is appearing to him, and what is surprising is that there are two others with him. Now who are the two others? Well, if you go through to chapter 19 verse 1, you'll see that the two others are angels. Angels. Because they later go down uh, to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham has three visitors from heaven. The Lord and two angels. Now, what is the purpose of the visit? Why does the Lord appear yet again to Abram? So closely and so soon after the appearance 
of the previous chapter 17. Why do two ministering spirits, two angels, come with him? Well, in scripture, we know that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter is confirmed. And so it may well be that matter of confirmation and God adding, Christ adding confirmation to his word. Though his word should not need confirmation. But sometimes in his grace he confirms his word to us because he knows we are weak and we're slow to grasp it and to lay hold of it. So where did they come? Well, you read through the whole section from chapter 18 verse 1 uh, through to chapter 19 and verse 29 and you'll see there are two main parts to this uh, section. Two main subjects that the Lord is going to address with Abraham. First of all, he's going to address with him in the context of his own household as he sits there and stands there by his tent, he's going to address with him the birth of the son to Sarah that he has already announced and promised. And then from verse um, 16 on of chapter 18, he's going to discuss with Abram the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot, the believer, Lot, the relative of Abram, has gone to live. And so this morning we're going to look at chapter 18 verses 1 to 16 uh, after that rather long introduction. And I want us to focus this morning in this section on Sarah's unbelief. We could look at this opening section of Genesis chapter 18 and we could learn many lessons about Christian hospitality. And there's probably an allusion to this in Hebrews chapter 13 when we're urged as believers to entertain angels unawares and to practice hospitality among God's people. But I do believe that that is not what this chapter is about. These opening 16 verses are not to give you and me an example in Abraham of one who was hospitable, although he was that. And that is true, and we should be that. But that's not the primary purpose of these verses. The primary purpose behind this appearance of the Lord to Abraham in the um, domestic setting of his tent is to deal with Sarah's unbelief. So I want us to think first of all about uncovering Sarah's unbelief. Because I think we've got to think ourselves into the whole setting here in order to grasp this and to see this before Sarah actually laughs at the Lord's work. Let's rewind to last time. Genesis chapter 17 Sarah is nowhere to be seen. The Lord appears to Abram and he speaks to him about the covenant and enables Abram to discover a breadth to the covenant that Abram hadn't previously known 
the covenant, as we saw last time, is with Abraham, with his household, with the nations. The covenant ensures an ongoing relationship. It ensures fruitfulness in Abraham's life. It ensures an everlasting inheritance. But the covenant, as we saw at the close last time, requires Abraham to keep it. And he has to believe its promises. And he has to receive its sign, circumcision. Now, what are we to conclude from that about Sarah? Was Sarah unaware of this appearance of the Lord? That's hardly possible. She may not have been there at the time. But surely she will have known and come to know and to understand the detail of this. Sarah could not have lived in Abram's house and have been unaware of the circumcision of her husband. And the circumcision of her 13 year old son. And the circumcision of at least 318 other men that were in Abram's house at this time. This was something that would have been a very public event in Abram's house. And think about it, Abraham will have informed her of the Lord's visit, will he not? Will Abram not have gone to her and said, Dear, you're not to call me Abram any longer. You're to call me Abraham. Because the Lord in this visit has given me a new name. And dear, I'm not going to call you Sarai any longer. Because the Lord gave you a new name, the name Sarah, when he appeared to me. And surely Abraham would have explained to Sarah as well that the Lord has said that she will now bear a child at 90. And the Lord has even gone to the length of giving the child a name. He's going to be called Isaac. Laughter. Because I, Abram, laughed with delight and joy at what God, the Lord, was going to do. And Abram will have explained to Sarah's wife, do you remember Ishmael? That son that we produced by our own efforts and our own works, that we put all our hope in for the past 13 years, he's not going to be there. It's going to be a son, Sarah, from your own womb, from our own union, that is going to be the heir. And as Sarah has heard of those things, she's got to respond, hasn't she? Like Abram. She's got to respond. And either she responds in faith or she responds in unbelief. The reality is that though Sarah is a believer, though she is a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, she is not believing the promise of God. She is refusing to accept what the Lord purposes for Abraham, for her, for Isaac, 
for Ishmael. And when it comes to the point that the Lord speaks to her in this context about it, her laughter is simply, as it were, the capstone, the capstone on the unbelief that has been there. And this appearance of the Lord to Abraham is about Sarah. And it's about uncovering her unbelief. What about you this morning? What about me this morning? Unbelief in the heart of a Christian rarely appears overnight. In other words, you don't go to bed one night having a very strong believing everything that God says and then waking up the next morning and you find that there's a major crisis in your faith. Now I would suggest to you that unbelief is usually a creeping thing. It's like losing our hearing or losing our sight. It creeps up on us before we actually recognize that the problem exists. And this creeping on belief, and I can't help but wonder, hasn't been there the whole 13 years, right back to the time of Hagar. Is that where it began with Sarah? Was that at the point at which she resigned herself to the fact, I'm not going to have a son, and now you're going to have it through Hagar, and the birth of Ishmael through Hagar, that was the starting point, and the, 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 this creeping unbelief has kept on in her heart right over these years. This creeping unbelief, how does it come about? What creates it? Well, it's usually the product of frequent and ongoing disappointment and setback in the Christian life. That's when you and I are in danger of creeping unbelief. When there are frequent and ongoing disappointments and setbacks in the Christian life. When we've prayed for something for years, we've longed for it, and we've worked for it, and we believe that it's uh, in keeping with the principles of God's word, and when the Lord does not grant it, that's the time that you and I are in danger of this unbelief as a believer. And so I ask you the question now, in Christ's name, is there unbelief in your heart as a Christian? That needs to be uncovered. You put on a brave face. A cheery disposition. When you're in church. And you keep up with daily Bible reading and prayer. uh, And you serve in a variety of ways. But underneath that outward appearance. Of a confident strong Christian life there's disappointment there's pain there's hurt there's a growing unbelief 
a nagging unbelief because things have not gone in your life as you expected, as you dreamed, as you prayed, or even as you believed. Is there a growing unbelief in the heart of any of us this morning? In terms of how God is dealing with you, with me, with your family, with my family. Are we beginning to lose hope? We're not praying as much about situations because, well, we think it's not going to change. It's not going to happen. What about us in our church life here? Seeking to extend Christ's kingdom in our town. Perhaps we'd have hoped and prayed and expected that after eight years, ten years, this room would have been full to capacity. That we would have a witness in this time that was more substantial and significant. And you know that you've put your energy into it. But you're just beginning to think. It's not going to happen. Got a guard against unbelief. When the Lord doesn't do things in our time, in our way, or to our expectations. Let's think then secondly about overcoming Sarah's unbelief. And thereby overcoming our unbelief. Abraham extends lavish and generous hospitality to his three visitors. And in that, as I touched on earlier, he is a real challenge to us. And here's what Christian hospitality is about. It's not about what the host gets out of it. It's about what the visitor gets out of it. And Abraham rushes to Sarah here. And notice it was not a dignified thing for an old man in that culture to rush. But Abraham, he rushes here if he's never rushed before. And he's hurried quickly to Sarah and then to the, out to the herd and got the calf and uh, to the servant to get it killed. And then when he's all of the food set before them, Abraham stands there waiting to serve. Waiting to serve. And you see, that's the Christian's position. We're servants. We serve Christ. And we stand ready to serve one another. And nothing's too big or too demanding, or too onerous. But in the context then of this hospitality, they turn the conversation to the purpose of the visit. In the sense of the hospitalities, in this occasion, it's, it's a means uh, to the end. 
or the opportunity, if you want to put it like that. And they ask Abraham, verse 9, Where is Sarah, your wife? And that's what makes me say that this is all about Sarah. Where is Sarah, your wife? Now, we shouldn't think from that question that the Lord doesn't know where Sarah is. Of course, he knows where Sarah is. But you see, both Abraham in the foreground and Sarah in the background need to realise this is about Sarah. This visit is for Sarah's benefit. And she is the focus of the Lord's attention now. And he's going to correct her unbelief. It's almost as if the Lord was saying, Abraham, you don't need to hear this. But Sarah does. But Sarah does. And of course, Sarah was there in the tent uh, and we shouldn't have the idea here that she's eavesdropping. It's not eavesdropping. The Lord has made sure that her ears are pricked up to hear. And then he declares, verse 10, I will certainly return to you about this time. And then here's the word behold again. Um, behold, your wife will have a son. The years of waiting, Sarah, are over. The years of barrenness, Sarah, are in the past. The decades of disappointment are at an end. And notice Abram, he doesn't bat an eyelid at what the Lord says. Because he already believes this. And we can imagine Abraham, since the time the Lord has appeared to him, he's been praying for this and uh, going forward in the light of this. And he's been rejoicing in the Lord's promise. And he's awaiting its fulfillment. And he's convinced of its reality, but not Sarah. Verse 10. Sarah listening, and it's that present part as well. In other words, continuing to listen behind the door of the tent. Verse 12 then, Sarah laughed to herself. She responds with laughter. Nobody heard the laughter. Abram didn't hear it. I mean, no one humanly heard their laughter. But the Lord, as we'll see in a moment, heard it. She laughed. And it's the laughter of unbelief. It's the laughter that says, this is ridiculous. This is beyond the realm of possibility. And Sarah believed that she's justified in taking that position of unbelief and, and laughter. She says, in effect, look at the facts. I'm 90. Worn out. It's the, it's the picture of a garment that is becoming threadbare. She says, I'm, I'm, I'm shriveled up. I'm, I'm, I'm aging. And Abraham, well, he isn't far behind her. My husband is old. In fact, years-wise, he's ahead of her. But probably physically is what she means there. So how 
will Isaac, the son and heir, be born? If Sarah is saying, it's not possible. And I've given up trying. And I've given up hope. And yet the reality is, both Abraham and Sarah have to be united in faith before they can unite in one flesh to conceive the Son the Lord intends to give them. If Sarah does not have faith, the purpose and the promise of the Lord, or until Sarah has faith, be a better way of putting it, the purpose and the promise of the Lord cannot go forward. So the Lord zooms in on Sarah's unbelief. Verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? It's interesting to ask and to think, Why does the Lord put the question to Abraham? Is it perhaps that it's news to Abraham that Sarah doesn't actually believe. Perhaps up to this point she's hidden her unbelief even from Abraham. Has Sarah perhaps gone along with everything that Abraham has said since the Lord's last appearance, the circumcision, the change of names, and the promise of a son without really believing it in her heart. You see, it is a danger we all face. (coughs) We go along with God's word without believing it in our hearts, without adjusting our lives in the light of it. It's impossible to assent in the head and in our minds to God's truth the reality of hell for example but not to allow it to affect our hearts so that we tremble at the dangerous and sorry plight of the lost in any case the Lord asks Abraham why did Sarah laugh But Sarah is the one that has to answer. Look at how she answers. How like us, or how like her we are. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Isn't that what we do? We're put in a tight corner, and somebody puts a finger or the Lord puts a finger on a sin in our lives and what do we do? We deny it. We don't stone up. We say, oh well, I didn't, I didn't quite mean it that way. Or you've misunderstood that what I've said. We try to justify ourselves. We try to deny our sin. We try to cover it. That's what Sarah's doing here. 
she's laughed in unbelief and then she says no 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 it wasn't anything to do with unbelief I didn't laugh notice how the Lord at the last word verse 15 but no you did laugh what's the Lord doing well here he is overcoming Sarah's unbelief first of all by confronting her with it he won't let her escape he won't let her evade her unbelief and he brings it right before her and holds her accountable for it is the Lord confronting you about unbelief that lies deep in your heart that perhaps no one else not even your closest family not even your dearest friends know about perhaps you're denying it to yourself even denying it to others to overcome unbelief we've got to be confronted with it by the Lord through his word and then the second aspect of overcoming this unbelief is he corrects it look at verse 14 glorious glorious verse is anything too hard for the Lord Sarah you're looking at your body and Sarah, you're thinking about biology. And you're thinking about age. And you're thinking about weakness. And you're thinking about infertility. Sarah, who made your body? Is it too hard for the Lord? Is it too hard for me to enable you to, as it were is it too hard for me to turn the clock back no it isn't and so she is assured again I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah you will have a son watch this face you will have a son and so what's happening well her unbelief has been confronted and again now she's been invited to believe she's been invited to believe and he is able to do exceedingly abundantly is it too hard for the Lord sir is it too hard for the Lord put your own name in there whatever is the area of unbelief in your life is it too hard for the Lord to save your spouse? Is it too hard for the Lord to save your household? Is it too hard for the Lord to build his church? To fill every seat in this room? Is it too hard for the Lord to provide us with a building in his own time? None of these things too hard 
if it's in the Lord's will. So how does Sarah respond this time? Well, the passage doesn't say. The Lord doesn't force her into a decision. He doesn't force her to declare her response there and then. And I think there's something pastorally significant about that for us who are elders. And as we deal with other people, we never put people into a corner. But Sarah does respond. Because in a year's time she gives birth to Isaac. And she overcomes her unbelief. And it's summed up beautifully in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 11. Which I put in the order of service today as our memory verse. By faith. See it was by faith. Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful. Who had promised. And you and I must consider him faithful. Who has promised. And who appeared to this woman. And so for his purposes to go forward in our lives. There's times he has to deal with us. And uncover our unbelief. Confront us with it. And then correct us. And bring us to see that nothing is too hard for Christ our Saviour to accomplish. He died for us. He rose again for our justification. And whatever he purposes for you, for me, for your family, for our church, for this town, he will accomplish. Amen. That's for our heads. Let's pray. Lord, we're reminded of the words that were spoken in the gospel. We believe, help us in our unbelief. Lord God, we confess that we all, at times and in one way or another, fall victim to unbelief. And we become discouraged and downcast about the cause of Christ in our own lives, within our family, within our church, within our community, within the world. Help us not to be like that and not to do that. Help us not to go there because you are the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or expect. Lord, show us this morning the pockets of unbelief that are there in our hearts. And we pray that you would confront us with them, as you did, Sarah. We see that you did so here with great gentleness, and yet with great firmness. And we ask, Lord, that you would also correct our unbelief, by your word, so that by faith we too would be able to do whatever it is you have for us to do, because we consider you faithful, who has promised. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Well, let's um, sing Psalm 139, and we're singing stanzas 1 to 4 and 14, wonderful words that remind us that the Lord sees and knows everything, as he saw and knew the unbelief of Sarah, and then verse 14, he searched it out, and he led her in the way of faith, the way of eternity. Psalm 109, stanzas 1 to 4 and 14, and the genus Holly, number 15. Love eternal The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.